0: I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I generally don't have partners that are good at the same stuff I'm good at. What would be the point? You know, if we're both focused on the same thing, I don't necessarily need to have a partner. So, you know, strategically, when we're putting together a business plan or a business model and you're, you know, when anyone is debating, do I, do I bring in a partner? you have to choose carefully it's like a marriage i mean you're going to spend probably more time with your business partner than you are with your significant other you're gonna have disagreements but you know you've got to focus on communication you can't be selfish and you know one of the things that is extremely important to me is full transparency
1: you are listening to fingerprints on success the podcast dedicated to highlighting unique imprints left by business leaders, mentors, and successful entrepreneurs. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of serial entrepreneurs, professionals, leaders, and coaches to uncover the secrets behind achieving success both professionally and personally. Guiding you on this podcast is none other than Bill Barrett, an award-winning corporate and business law attorney, and CEO of the law firm Mandelbaum Barrett PC where he and his team have provided a full array of legal services to both businesses and individuals throughout the country. Get ready and let's get to the show.
2: Hey, it's Bill Barrett and I'm thrilled to be back with another exciting episode today. We've got a real game changer joining us, the one and only serial entrepreneur, Todd Sawyer. Buckle up as we dive into Todd's incredible journey from holding dreams of a corporate life in New York City to finding himself in the family business. Discover how he took the reins of a successful company founded by his father and not only expanded it exponentially, but he also orchestrated a major exit strategy with a sale to a publicly traded company. Todd's story doesn't stop there. He's acquired and expanded and rocked multiple businesses in entirely different industries. Whether you're just starting your entrepreneurial journey or you're a seasoned business owner hungry for growth, Todd's journey is packed with inspiration and practical wisdom. Get ready to unveil the fingerprints on success with the remarkable Todd Sawyer. A lot of times... We see people that go out and they have one successful business, but repeating it, stepping and repeating it and doing it not only in the same vertical, but different verticals, I think is unique and special. So without further ado, I want to welcome Todd onto the show. Todd, welcome. Thanks for coming on.
0: I am so happy to be here, taking part in your podcast. It's uh, really an honor to uh, to join you today.
2: Well, thanks. and And so why don't we start with and no one could tell it better, start with your story. Take us through the entrepreneurial story. How did you get into the building business that that you're in? And in fact, other verticals as I described before, but tell us about your journey and where it starts so people get a sense of where you've come from and and where you are now. Sure.
0: Uh, Let let me preface it by saying there's people out there and I'm sure you hear, hear it as well. That will say, Oh, it must be nice. Must be nice to have the the car. Must be nice to have that watch or whatever it is. And to those people, you know, I, I like to tell my story and I like to tell them if you do what I did for 30 years, you can have this stuff too. But unfortunately, we live in the instant economy and everybody wants everything easy and fast. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, you've got to be willing to do the uncomfortable work. you got to be willing to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. You know, so, so my story starts, I, I graduated from college uh, with a degree in finance and interviewed with a bunch of people in, in New York City uh, in, the, uh, in finance and ultimately decided I'm going to go and work for the family business, at least until I figure out what I want to do. I didn't even own a suit. You know, I was going to have to commute to the city. I said, let me let me go and see what it's all about. I had worked and done manual labor jobs for my father all through high school and college. So when I got out of school, I said, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm going to come and work for the business. And he said, great, go get your tools. I'm like, what are you talking about, Dad? I, I just got my degree in finance. He's like, that's awesome. Go get your tools. So I was a very highly educated insulation installer for at least a year, I was out every day with the crews installing fiberglass insulation. You know, at the warehouse at 5 30 in the morning, loading trucks, going to the job, installing insulation, coming home, unloading everything. It was uh, definitely a difficult time. You know, I saw a bunch of my friends, you know, getting these, these what appeared to be fancy jobs. I don't know how fancy they were. Uh, and here I was, blue collar. You know, after I I just got my degree, after about a year in the field, he, uh, you know, the education process continued and taught me estimating, you know, he taught me how to hone my sales skills. From there, uh, I learned about operations. From there, I, I started to understand the accounting side of that business. But I literally did everything. From installing insulation to doing scheduling to doing sales to doing blueprints, and started from the absolute ground up. I think I was making three hundred dollars a week when I first started, and I had, yeah, had some friends that were doing pretty well, and you know it was tough not to be discouraged. But in hindsight, it was the smartest thing that my father could have done. So that was. I graduated college in 1994. Does that sound right? I think that's when yeah. I graduated. Yep.
2: Yeah. Now, when you joined, by the way, the business was strictly, you know, just for for our listeners, it, it was primarily at that moment installation of fiberglass insulation products in new construction or renovations, things like that, mm-hmm. an, an insulation right. yeah. business.
0: Yep. Yeah. Very small business. I think we had like six trucks maybe 10 employees, 12 employees. Uh, I was, you know, number 13, lucky number 13. And, you know, just grinding it out for a bunch of years. And, you know, there were many a night where I was there alone at 10 o'clock at night, trying to figure out how to make the schedule for the next day, how to make sure everybody was working, how to make sure everybody was happy. And you know, it's ingrained, it's burned into me sitting in the little pretty gross bathroom in our little office and our little warehouse and just leaning my back against the wall and sliding down the wall with tears in my eyes and looking in the mirror and saying, I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can go on another day. You pick yourself up, you say, I got to do it. Like, I got to do it. I'm not going to quit. And with tears in my eyes, I go back to my desk with the big had. There was, you know, I don't even think I had a computer at that point, big eraser. And I'm you figure it out and you do it all over the next day. So, you know, it, it didn't take all that long. I would say five years by 1999, my father got an offer to sell the business. Uh, there was a big consolidation in the industry at that point. And he had an offer and I was still a little wobbly. Uh, you know he wasn't sure that I was going to stay or go or so I went with him to the meeting i was very impressed with the suitor uh, that wanted to buy our business at the time his business and on the way out he said what are you going to do i said you know i, I, I want to do this he said great i'll make you the same offer that he just made me i'll sell it to you i said okay you know I'll do that. I said, well, you know, how's that going to work? He said, well, I'll, I'll give you 30 year terms. I said, okay, great. I, I, well, that was a
2: good deal, though.
0: It was a good deal, although it wasn't <laughs> interest only for the first 10 years, which was pretty good for him, not so good for me. Um, but he very quickly, then at that point, I think it was about a year later, he retired for all practical purposes. And the reasoning was sound. You know, he told me and he told everybody there can't be two captains to the ship. He he's ready, you know, he may make some mistakes, but I'll be here, you know, I'll be here to answer questions. You know, it was still, he was still funding the business. So, you know, I had to report to him with every big decision and, and review quarterlies and monthly financials with him, but he stepped out, which was amazing because we had a lot of people in, in the industry and friends. And a lot of times, You know, a father or a mother or a grandfather, they have a lot of trouble stepping down and and turning over the reins. And it creates issues within the business, within the relationships. And so he stepped down and, you know, I said, Dad, the industry is changing. We either have to grow or we're just going to get tramped. So he said, listen, I'm behind you. I'll back you. And off to the races we went. You know, very quickly, we opened a second location in uh, New Brunswick, and very shortly after that, we started adding additional products to our offerings. We added spray foam insulation, blown insulation. We got into the seamless gutter business. We got into the garage door business, the commercial fire stopping business, and grew the business substantially pretty quickly which had its own challenges, Uh, ultimately bought another location down in Tuckerton, New Jersey, that was uh, on the verge of bankruptcy, went in there, turned that place around. Uh, So we had three locations in New Jersey. And then uh, several years later, we had another location in Southeast Texas, another failing business that our supplier One of the big insulation suppliers came in and said, we need your help, Todd. This guy is awesome, but he's a terrible businessman. So we went down to meet this guy who's a wonderful guy, still friends with him today, great guy. And we went in and and turned that business around and ultimately sold the
2: entire group
0: to a public company called IBP.
2: yeah Talk about those turnarounds, though, too, because I think that's interesting for... People listening, you know, you multiple scenarios where you go in and take over, or buy a business that is, you know, obviously has customers, has business, but's on the brink of failing. Because I think two of the interesting things that you did that you mentioned in this this part of your story is you turning around businesses that you took over and turning them into successful businesses, and also scaling. Because in this time period. You went from ten employees, as you said in the early days, you were employee number thirteen, give or take. What when when you ultimately sold to IBP? What? How many employees were you then? I think it was
0: about one hundred and sixty employees. Okay. With uh, you know, maybe hundred trucks on the road going out each day, you know, all across New Jersey in Texas. So it had become a substantial company. You know, we yeah. were one of the largest. We were the largest independently owned company in New Jersey, and one of the the three big ones in New Jersey, whether they were public or owned by a group or you know whatever
2: the situation was. So, what would you say is some secret sauce ah, on t- turning turning a business yeah. around? Because yeah, you, what you're really saying is you facilitated your growth through expansion and acquisition, but acquiring companies that that were failing. So I think it would be great to hear a little bit about kind of how does one turn around failing businesses, not just once, but in your case, several times, because I know later you're going to get to another part of your entrepreneurial journey where you turned another business that was in trouble around. But give us a little sense of how do you do it? What's the magic? So listen,
0: there's two sides to every business, as you know. There's the, you know, operations, and then there's the finance and accounting. My secret sauce, what I do best is the finance side. You know, I understand pricing, I understand purchasing. My, what I tell people is my running joke is I can read a financial statement like Goodnight Moon. It's just easy for me. I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm good at that. And then I surround myself with great operators, you know, with people that, have a building science background, people that have an operations and logistics background. And then we put those two sides of the business together. And I've been also very, very lucky with partnerships. Partnerships are notoriously difficult. You hear horror stories about friends that are partners that didn't work out, family members that are partners and it doesn't work out. I've been extremely blessed to have incredible partners. And and I'm I have partners in every business and they've all been spectacular. And when you can find a partnership that works and creates a synergy, you know, it. one plus one equals three. You can just get so much more done. The, the individual parts add up to something much greater. So, but my secret sauce, what I do is I stay in my lane. I focus on what I'm great at. And I either have partners or I hire people or I groom people
2: to do the things that, I'm not great at or that I don't want to do. Okay. Well, it's I mean, it's great. And so really, too, one of the things you're saying is, if I'm reading it right, too, is you're not just bringing on partners because you, know, you haven't needed their investment money or anything like that. What you've done is you've brought on strategic partners that can help you scale.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And I generally don't have partners that are good at the same stuff I'm good at. What would be the point? You know, if we're both focused on the same thing, I don't necessarily need to have a partner. So, you know, strategically, when we're putting together a business plan or a business model, and you're, you know, when anyone is debating, do I do I bring in a partner, you have to choose carefully. It's like a marriage. I mean, you're gonna spend probably more time with your business partner than you are with your significant other. You're gonna have disagreements, but you know, you've got to focus on communication. You can't be selfish. And you know, one of the things that is extremely important to me is full transparency. You know, if if I buy a lunch, then you know, when I put it on the company credit card to take out a client, I track it. You know, it's there's nothing that anyone could ever—not that anyone's checking—but nobody could ever misconstrue that uh, he's taking liberties because we don't, none of the partners do, you know, just makes life so much easier when there's transparency and everybody's honest and nobody's playing games. I think it's a rare thing, I really do. I think that in general, partnerships don't work out real
2: well, but again- Well, and they keep a lot of lawyers employed, thank God. So they work out for you, not so much (laughs) for the partners themselves. So, okay. So let's go back to the story, right? So you you have this big liquidity event with IBP and this insulation and multi-vertical business now that you've built that had garage doors and gutters and different types of insulation and spray foam and, and the whole gamut. And now you sell that business. What happens next? Because for a lot of people... The sale of the business is, you know, they sail off into the sunset, they're hitting golf balls somewhere in Florida or wherever, sure. um, or there's others who then try to get involved with other businesses and don't do as well as they did with the primary business. So tell us after that, what happens next?
0: Sure. So a, a few things kind of happen simultaneously prior to our, our sale. And you had touched on this before, we had the opportunity to buy another business, a local business, a, a lumberyard. Same type of situation. I had known the gentleman, really good guy. He got himself in trouble financially, needed, he called me and asked me to borrow money. I said, I'm not a bank. I don't loan money to people. He said, Well, would you consider buying the business? Well, we went down, we looked at his numbers and looked at his operation and said, You know, I think that we could probably turn this business around because we have the client base. You know, we understand the construction business. It was different, but, you know, we said, uh, if we can make the right deal, we're going to do it. This is with uh, my business partner, Michael. So we went in and and that was 2014, 2013 or 2014. They didn't even have a computer system either. I mean, it was press hard three copies. You you know, the customer gets the pink copy, the yellow copy goes somewhere. And so it was a lot of work, you know was painful for the employees because nobody likes change you know they were not tech people but you know we, we worked hard to bring in clients you know tripled quadrupled the the volume over the course of a year and a half two years got the proper technology in place and it was still you know considered a very very small lumberyard at the same time well actually it was shortly after we purchased the lumberyard we had our liquidity event so we still had the lumberyard i wasn't all that involved in it my partner was really working on that after the liquidity event we timing worked out we bought some properties down in uh, at the beach in Maniloking, and we started to build some spec homes we had the lumberyard so we're now our own supplier which worked out really well so he kind of my partner pivoted and and worked on the building side and i jumped into the lumberyard and started you know working more on that but it frankly it was i was bored you know i think for two weeks i said i'm gonna relax a little bit i gotta take a breath i'm gonna and i had all these grand plans i'm gonna learn how to play the guitar i'm gonna learn a couple (laughs) more languages i'm gonna go and enjoy myself after about two weeks i wanted to jump out a window i'm like i gotta do more. I gotta go out. I gotta produce something. I gotta do something. I gotta feel good about getting up every morning and, and getting something done. So while I was, you know, working on growing the lumberyard business uh, through a series of of events, I and another friend of mine started looking at the car dealership business. So this friend of mine, Sean Lyons, um, he had been in the industry, but on the manufacturing side for many years. He on that side of the business, you get transferred, moved around quite a bit across the country. And he was at a point in his life where he didn't want to do that anymore. So an opportunity arose, you know, through people that we were associated with to buy a car dealership. I mean, what the hell did I know about? that
2: business, but you know, right. a little
0: cocky. I'm like, ah, business is business. I yeah, can But not in out.
2: your vertical, not in what you had been no. doing in the past.
0: So we, you know, we went through the process of getting vetted by the manu- the manufacturer, by General Motors, ended up putting the deal together. And thank God, you know, the people that, that we bought the business from, they actually stayed in for 25%. It's the Salerno family. They own a bunch of other dealerships and I will tell you it was painful that first year i didn't know what i didn't know you know so i went in completely blind my partner had an idea but he came from corporate so being an entrepreneur and dealing with the employees i mean it was a culture shock for him you know but within a year i learned the business you know i learned the the financial side of the business he learned the operation side of the business That business was not doing well either. We were able to turn it around. Listen, it was touch and go for for a little bit. But, you know, we were able to turn the business around, pay off all the debt, make it profitable, and run something completely different. You know, completely different industry, completely different way of doing business. To me, the biggest difference was the... uh, you know, dealing with General Motors versus dealing with the president of Owens Corning. You know, I kind of thought it would be similar, very, very different. But you learn, you know, you learn, you figure it out. And that business is now doing fantastic. You know, we're doing absolutely great. We're looking to acquire a second dealership. But again, to me, it's about the numbers. Either the numbers work or they don't. So a lot of people are buying up dealerships and the deals are not good deals. We're waiting for the right deal to come along and then, and then we'll jump
2: on it. I've always seen that. It's interesting comment you just made representing entrepreneurs as an attorney for so many years. I always find it interesting that I find my successful entrepreneur clients are patient in their opportunities. You know, you kiss a lot of frogs before you find the prince or the princess, and I think that happens in all businesses, whether it's a law firm and you're recruiting talent into your firm or you're analyzing a business that you want to buy, what you're really saying is, you know, you take your time, you wait for what you think is the right opportunity and you don't just jump at something. And you see sure. that a lot of times in industries as when there's consolidation going on where they just money's just starting to get gets thrown at something, and people start, getting away from the fundamentals of a good purchase, right? Absolutely. And I see it with the real estate developers, same thing, yeah. you know, like they're not going to overpay the successful ones. Aren't just going to overpay for land and then Absolutely. try to figure it out later. They're going to wait for the right opportunity.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can't let ego get in the way to me. It's paint by numbers. There are, listen, there are some synergies that you can find to say, I'm willing to pay up a little bit, but at the end of the day, we're looking for distressed companies that we can fix that they'll become more valuable if you get a company that's running perfectly you know you're paying a multiple of ebitda usually you know is how most acquisitions work if you can't make it more efficient and more profitable it's going to take you a lot longer to recover your initial investment and if things take a turn for the worse you're in trouble. You may be too leveraged. You know, your debt service mm-hmm. may be too high. So you got to be very, very careful. When things are great, they're not as great as they seem and it doesn't last. And when things are horrible, it's not as horrible as it seems. And that doesn't last either. So, you know, you've got to really understand where the economy is, where that industry is, and make intelligent decisions. And listen, I've missed some really good opportunities. Because I didn't jump on something and then the value went way up. and But you can't play Monday morning quarterback either. You don't know. And that's okay, right? That's okay. That's okay. Listen, I'd rather miss an opportunity than invest a massive amount of money and lose it. It was too hard to make the first time around. So I'm going to be very, very careful how I invest the money that took so long to make and was so hard to make the first time.
1: Enjoying the show so far? We've received fantastic feedback since we started, and we love your questions. Entrepreneurs face unique challenges, and as a corporate attorney and CEO, Bill understands that. Whether it's your first location, industry regulations, succession plans, or exit strategies for your business, the journey is rarely a smooth one. Mandelbaum Barrett PC offers listeners of this podcast a 20-minute consultation with their award-winning team. From mergers and acquisitions to litigation, they help entrepreneurs navigate new opportunities, get invaluable insights, and support to not just survive, but thrive. Click the link in the episode description or visit mblawfirm.com for details. Once again, it's mblawfirm.com. Now, back to our show.
2: So since the car dealership, you're not done yet. You know, we talked about the development of custom homes uh, along the ocean and talked about the car dealership and tell us about what you've been doing since then. So this past December,
0: I had a non-compete from the sale of my insulation business It ran out. It was pretty, it was seven years because there was a mechanism in place to kind of keep pushing it back, which worked for me. It was fine. But at at the end of the non-compete, which was December 31st, I knew I had an opportunity. Yeah, it's been seven years since I've been in the industry, but I'm still connected. You know, I still know people. My phone would still ring throughout the years. What are you doing? When are you coming back in business? Very shortly after that non-compete ran out, we got back in the insulation business. Uh, mm-hmm. My original partner and I along, you know, his son just graduated from college. So we said, you know, if you're interested, you come in with us. So now he's doing what I did.
2: He's out getting dirty. Every he's, got day. Toolbox, right? <laughs> he's got his toolbox, right? He's got He's
0: out there today. He's out there today getting dirty. I had him out on Saturday getting dirty. And, you know, he understands better than I did because he knows what I went through. He's heard all the stories a thousand times. So we got back in the insulation business and, you know, the suppliers, you know, I had all the guys to call and they've been fantastic about, you know, getting us the right, uh, the right numbers and the material and everything else. I, again, took on some incredible partners. You know, I had a, a buddy from that industry, from Atlanta, really, really large company down there. I said... Luis, why don't you, you know, take a small piece? He said, no, I'll just help you. He's that guy. I'll just help you whatever you need. You need help with estimators. I said, I'd prefer if you took a little piece of it and your contribution can be helping with estimating. You know, he's got a substantial company with a team of estimators. He just gave us an estimator. Now that was his investment. So that's fantastic. Another buddy of mine, who is uh, one of the largest framing contractors in New Jersey, has got incredible relationships, and you know the ability to sell, you know, sell the product and and leverage his relationships to sell large multifamily contracts. So I said, Charlie, why don't you come in for a little piece? He said, I, I'll just bring you around. I'll bring your guys around and introduce you to people. So i feel more comfortable if you came in for a little piece. Again, I I want people to have some skin in the game. Sure. So very quickly, that insulation business kind of morphed and, and we're in the midst of figuring out a merger. But even though we're separate entities, we can now offer framing. So and this is for multifamily apartment buildings. That's our focus. So we'll frame your multifamily apartment building. We'll we'll insulate it. We'll do the commercial fire stopping collars and, and fire cog. We opened a drywall division. We'll drywall. We'll do your interior doors and trim, which you know I can supply and install. And it's turned into you know this incredible venture, and we're still feeling our way through it. But it's been really well received by customers. It's a turnkey operation or pick a product, you know our our funny sales pitches, you can't leave without getting something. It's like a buffet. We'd love for you to try everything, but you can't leave without putting something on your plate. And it's it's worked really well. So you know we've got now a big team of people that share responsibilities. We just moved into a big office space altogether, and we've got, you know, pretty lofty goals for where we want to take this business. You know, I believe that we can make this a multi-state business. I believe that we can become one of the largest subcontractors in the Northeast and potentially in the mid Atlantic. Again, it's about surrounding yourself with the right people and being willing to do the work. And it's, I I thrive off of it.
2: Well, so, with that as a backdrop, which is really a fabulous story of growth, scaling, continuing and building up upon a legacy, and showing that your abilities can apply to to different types of businesses. They don't have to be in in even in similar verticals. Obviously, when you look at the car dealership business, for example, and the fact that you're looking for for another dealership, talk to me a little bit about. You know, for the business owners and entrepreneurs out there that are listening, what are some of your guiding principles that, you know, I mean, you talked about work ethic, obviously. When you reflect on your journey and the success, what do you think some of the guiding principles are that you've lived by that when you look back on it, you say, you know, that's something that really contributed to me being successful? Sure.
0: Listen, there, there's a lot of things, you know, one is, the amount of effort that you put into something is what you're going to get out of it. I didn't have hobbies, you know, my entire life. I took up golf last year. It was the first time I had a hobby in my entire life. And listen, I, I made a bunch of mistakes along the way too. It was probably would have been good for me to have a hobby and to have some downtime. But I put the effort in. And sometimes, you know, doing your best some days is, you know, at one level, and your best is at a different level the next day. But if you can say, listen, I did my best today, you know, I did the best that I could, and that's all I can do. That's, you know, a big part of it. Obviously, there are some guiding principles, and you know, it, it may be a good time to kind of delve into the theme of this podcast is what are my guiding principles and and where did they come from? You know, my father was absolute business gentleman, and, and like you said, you knew him very well. Yep. Your word has got to be your bond. In this day and age, it's just not for a lot of people. I mean, you know that better than anybody. You know, at your law firm, someone says something and they do something else and you have to have a contract. And listen, I believe in contracts. I believe in details. But if I give my word on something, that's it. You know, I don't renegotiate after the fact. Even if I made a mistake, listen, I may have the conversation, but I'm never going to try to renegotiate with a vendor. I'll never put somebody in a position where I'm hurting them. I'll take the hit and learn from it and move on. And there are a lot of people out there that, again, they back themselves into a corner and they want to make it everybody's problem.
2: You know, if I create my problem, it's my problem. Well, you know, I always say when I'm doing contracts for clients, you know, they're important. They give you rights. But at the end of the day, and I tell clients this all the time, they're only really worth as much as the people who sign them because it's who you choose to get into business with that is really going to make the fundamental difference. And sure, you got to have your agreements and you never know what might pop up where you're going to have to rely on them, but it's going to happen very rarely, when you choose correctly in in the first place, in terms of who you're you're actually Absolutely. doing business listen, with,
0: you you get a contract, you get it written correctly, and then you put it in a drawer and you hope you never have to look at it again.
2: That's right. But it's there because listen, things happen. We get yeah. it. So things yeah. do happen. Yeah. So happen. so let me, let me let me spin it on you a little bit, okay. which is. What, when you look back, I mean, because you mentioned it before briefly about, you know, it's not, it's not all about success. You don't just walk around every day, wave a magic wand, everything just turns perfectly your, your way. When you, especially for entrepreneurs that are listening that are at different stages in their, in their journey, what are some of the pitfalls that you would, you know, kind of like Todd today versus Todd, you know... 20, 30 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when you look at like blind spots that maybe you didn't see certain things come in or pitfalls that now today you think you you might avoid or you would tell someone to avoid, what are some of those things?
0: So listen, there's been a bunch of tough lessons that I learned over the years and a lot of personal development that I've worked on. You know, a, a big one is to understand that a leader is not a title you know if someone says oh you're a manager that doesn't make you a leader a leader is somebody that people follow so you don't need to have the title to be a leader and it's sometimes it's difficult for new managers or new business owners to understand they finally get the hold of the reins and they want to you know crack the whip from behind so to speak there's that picture of this type of leader is hitting you with the whip, and the other leader is the first guy pulling, you gotta be the first guy pulling. You know, you can't get too big for your britches. You know, my my daughter and I, one of our favorite songs is uh, always stay humble and kind. Be good to people, be kind, keep humble. You know, if you get too cocky or too big in your own head, your head gets too big, it's the beginning of the end, in my opinion. And, you know, you've got to keep your ego in check, you know, and sometimes when something feels wrong, you got to, you know, you you have to trust your gut. And there's been, like I said, there's been a bunch of mistakes, some of them very costly. You also got to know that you can't just give up. You keep going.
2: You learn from it and you keep moving forward. So, Let me move to a little bit of a different subject, um, because I think it's interesting to talk about whether it's forecasting or, you know, hot topics or issues. What would you say right now when when you think about business, the economy, things that are going to impact people? What's like a current events topic that is on your mind right now? And how are you navigating it or recommending that people navigate it? Can you share a little bit about something that that in terms of the the world at large?
0: Yeah. In all of the industries that I'm involved in, you know, the market, the interest rates play a part in the car business. Interest rates play a part. The higher the interest rate, the less car you can afford. And people might say, I'm going to wait. You know, it's too much money now in the home building industry. Rates go up. You can afford less house. So, it becomes more and more difficult to move product, to sell product, or you've got to lower your price points in order for people to be able to afford your products. It's a scary time right now with the economy in the situation that we're in, with all of the things going on in the Middle East right now. We don't know, I don't think anybody can know what's going to happen. So, you've got to understand that. If things change, and if we fall on times that, you know, become more and more difficult, you have to be able to tighten your belt. You know, when things are good, people have a tendency to get fat and happy. They spend a lot of money. They, you know, fancy office space and fancy this and fancy that. And yes, you want to reinvest in your business, but you have to be able to pull back at any point when things get tough. And that might mean downsizing, you know, your staff. Which that's usually the last piece that we would ever look at, because people—that's your biggest asset. But not spending on things that are not absolutely one hundred percent necessary. You know, is it going to make or break us by not ordering the best level of paper? That's out? no right. Why, why have we been doing it anyway? Like, why on earth have we been getting the you know the highest level pay? Nobody cares. Like most of it goes in the garbage anyway. So, you know, you gotta be able to pull back knowing that there is gonna come a time when you gotta pull back. Leverage is good. Too much leverage is no good. You know, you have to be able to, you know, manage your debt service. There are some, you know, guys that are super old school that have no debt. They go out and buy a truck for the business and they pay cash. I'm not a believer in that either. I believe that. You know, right now, interest rates are high, but when interest rates were low, use other people's money at a super low interest rate, and you can take your money and do something that's going to have a bigger return on it. So you just have to be very, very careful. You got to keep your eye on the bull at all times. And like you said, try to forecast what's going to happen. You know, you got to see the train coming down the track so you can get the heck out of the way.
2: Yeah, and and I think a lot of people have concerns about 2024 and kind of what this whole year looked like. And it's an election year, and there's a lot of different things at play. Uh, it's a kind of a weird economy. The interest rate factor—it's like on the one hand, there's a lot of jobs, but on the other hand, interest rates are impacting business all over. They're impacting transactions. To your point, one of the things I I often say, even in my own firm, just talking to partners, is. About what are the resources that you need versus what are the resources that you want? Right? Absolutely, so, big difference. And, and and we're in the people business too. So you know, a partner may want an associate. Is that a resource that they need? Maybe they do. Yeah. Or is it an, a a resource that they want because it's going to make their life a little bit better, a little bit easier? And when you come across difficult, challenging times, to your point, you got to be prepared to make the sacrifices and keep the business sound because it's, you know, a lot of people rely on it as their way of life. And it's, it's not just about the entrepreneurs at the top. It's about everybody.
0: Well, you know, people have a tendency to get a little bit spoiled when things are good Yep, owners and, you know, and their team. And, you know, it's really important to build the company corporate culture of listen, when we're doing great, we're doing great. When we're not doing good, we're not doing good. It can't be when things are great. We all share it, and when things go down the toilet, oh, that's all on me.
2: As right. the it. collective, we means we, <laughs> we. You
0: rise and fall like the ocean. And, and again, you know, when things are great, I'm happy to give bonuses. I'm happy to do profit sharing plans. But when things get a little tricky, everybody needs to understand that one those things go away. Cause there's, how do you do profit sharing if there's no profit? And two, everybody's got to chip in. You, you can't have the assistant. You can't have two people doing a job that one person could really do, but it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You know, if the money's not there, the money's not there. Like I said, you know, one of the first things I said, neither lasts forever, but people can't jump ship as soon as things get tough. And that again, that's a
2: company culture thing. I like that line, by the way, Todd, too, about neither lasts forever, because there's really a, a lot of positivity in that, right? I mean, not you know we talk about good times, but you know, things are never as good as you think, but things are never as bad as you think. So if two thousand twenty four does present challenges for people, and I'm sure it will for some, it, it's it's never as bad as you think. Yeah.
0: Listen, so a let's, lot of let's, people. So- go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, a lot of people, something happens and it's doom and gloom, and this is horrible. And yeah, listen, I get it. You know, times get tough, but you can either ride that train all the way to the end, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to make my own luck. I'm going to figure out a way to work around what's happening right now. And those people that can do that find themselves with massive opportunity when things start
2: to turn. So briefly, I'd like you to talk about um, you know, you, you gave us some great insight into your dad and that and your relationship with your dad and how special that was, and what a great mentor he was to you. What do you do in terms of trying to pay it forward and kind of take that spirit of what helped you on your the beginning of your journey? and and push that forward for other people.
0: So listen, I love to mentor young people. No matter what business it is, I've spent a lot of time working on myself, you know, like I said before, personal development, reading lots of books, you and I have shared some really good books together. And it's a life's work. You're never done working on yourself. So I love it when You know a young guy comes in the business or a young woman comes in the business and it's rare too rare but when you see that they've got that thing that sparkle that i forget it was a a seminar i watched you know someone can be elvis or pigpen you know pigpen walks in with a big cloud of dust over him and you're like oh god this guy again elvis comes in and you're like elvis is in the building baby this is my guy so I've been very, very fortunate. I've had two such young people that I just knew they had something. They had the thing. And both of them, you know, listen, they did the work. They did the work. They earned it. And everything that they have and, and you know, everything they accomplished is 100% them. But, you know, I, I spent time coaching them, teaching them. And it's the second time around. Was I told the story of the first time it happened? And both guys now, you know, our running joke is, "God, are you the way you are because I made you this way, or are you born that way?" And they're like, "No, well, a little bit of both, Todd. You know, it's they're they're wired that way, but you know, listen, they learned, they listened, they did the work, and they're both brilliant business people, young guys, and." I'm so proud of them. And honestly, that's as much of a reward to me to see these guys, you know, in their success as whatever other benefits that come from being a successful businessman.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, the podcast is called Fingerprints on Success. And, <laughs> you know, you just basically described it, how, you know, to, to be able to have your fingerprints on the success of someone else is special. And that's what mentorship is all about. And it's about taking all those lessons and, and pushing it forward. And isn't it something how attitude, attitude is so huge, right? Because if you're coming from the right place, and you're a successful person, and I mean, and you and you've been successful in, in many, many different ways. You latch on to that great attitude, don't you? Like, where it's that, you could just see that the person is like a pile of clay that is like ready to be molded and they're dying to learn and to grow and to, and to work and be successful. And they kind of facilitate you being able to get your fingerprints all over their, their future.
0: Absolutely. They, they have to want it. You know, they have to want to success. They have to want to be mentored. Listen, there's been a lot of other people that I've tried and it, it didn't take. So, you know, when you've got the right person, it becomes much easier. And again, it's everything from, you know, helping them understand that it's not going to happen overnight to listen, I understand. I get it. You're stressed to, you know, I tell all the young guys with young kids now, you will go to the Halloween parade and watch your kids in the Halloween parade. Uh, But I'm so I said, I don't want to hear it. You're going. You'll come back when you're done. Your daughter's got a softball game. You're going to the game. If that means you got to work a little bit into the evening, well, then you got to do that. But you're going to the game. Do not miss family time. You know, what are we doing it for if we're not doing it for our families? Yeah, of course, it feels great to, you know, create businesses and be successful. But if you neglect the people that you love, you know, I think you're missing the point.
2: Yeah. And what you really described also too, is the ability to be coached be or in sports, they'd say, you know, like college recruiters love a, a kid that they call coachable, you know, because if someone is open to being coached and open to gr- growing and, and personal development, there's really no limit to what they can achieve, but it starts with a mindset of, of being open to that. Absolutely. Um, so, so let's, we're getting towards the the end of our time. I've got a couple other things for you to, to ask you. But one is, and especially when pe- people have reached the kind of level of success that that you have, you're obviously not waking up every morning thinking about, you know, how much money am I going to make today? Sure, everyone loves making money. You Don't get me wrong. And, and you want to make money, not lose money. But it's not... What makes you, you know, get out of bed and jump out the door in the morning is, oh, I might make some more money today. What is the why, right? They talk about this, you know, there's been much written on a person's why. When you think about your why, why why do you do what you do at this stage after having been successful so many times?
0: I, I love to build businesses. I love it. You know, I do jump out of bed in the morning and I'm excited to go to work and i'm excited to help other people grow And i'm very very vested in other people's success and i take that responsibility very very seriously so whenever i you know have a venture start a new venture do a joint venture and we hire people and start to groom people i take that as a responsibility you know i can't take it lightly because their lives now depend on this business Put food on the table to provide them with opportunity to grow financially, to grow personally. But just the act of creating something and something to be proud of is extremely important to me. And it's you know the thrill of it. Like you said, listen, I I also I love stuff. I do. I'm not going to lie to you. You don't need it. It's okay. But I like it, <laughs> you know. And there's always that next level. And again, I'm still, there are still people that leave their fingerprints on me. You know, I've had some some other friendships and, and other business partners, very, very wealthy guys, this, you know, guy that I, I'm real close with, he'll call me and say, hey, I'm coming up to pick you up. We got to take this quick meeting. I'm flying, he's flying his per- private jet into Morristown, be there at 10 o'clock. You show up there and you're like, oh, I got a lot more work to do. You know, I don't want to fly. I don't want to fly. I don't want to go to Newark Airport. I want to do
2: this. <laughs> yeah, there's well, always... I think you're not alone, by the way, and not yeah. wanting to go to Newark Airport. But yeah. that's, that's for another so conversation. There's <laughs> always another level. You know,
0: when you reach you know, the end of the field, you got to keep pushing the goal line back. Otherwise, like there, there's ne- there can never be an, an end point. Right? What happens when you reach the end? <laughs> you die. Yeah. So, you know, you got to keep pushing that, you know, pushing the, the goal line further and further. So you have something to work towards. So you have goals that, you know, that you want to achieve. And to me, that's never going to end. You know, I, I, even when I retire, I'm not going to retire. Like you got to be doing something, you know, to sit around. I love golf now, but I can't play golf every day. You know, I got to have. Well, so that won't be fun
2: anymore. No, I got to have something to keep pushing. Okay, so last question: What has you most excited right now? When you think about you know what what you have going on in your life and your business right now, what has you the most excited today?
0: Well, I definitely maybe because it's new and it, it's exciting, but the new venture that that I'm involved with again we we rebranded we're, we're calling it Built, and it is the you know the group of companies that. Uh, that we're putting together to do medium density, multifamily apartments. And I just see so much opportunity with it. You know, I'm surrounded by incredible partners, incredible employees. And it's something that I think that we can quickly take to, you know, uh, a whole different level really, really quickly. And, you know, my, uh, my partner, who is the owner of the framing company, just looking at, the projects that he's doing right now and that he's done—it's mind blowing. I mean, these are six-story buildings that are three city blocks long, and I'm just—it takes my breath away. I'm like, how the heck do you know how to do this? He's been doing it his whole life. You know, yeah. to him, it's—that's what he does. You know, is he love looking at financial statements and analyzing everything to death? Now he hates that, but that's what I do. So that's why that partnership works so well. And we're just extremely honest and transparent and makes the partnership very, very easy. So it, it's an exciting time uh, to, to grow that business and hopefully move into other states and continue to, uh, to add product offerings. It's, uh, it's something I'm real passionate about right now.
2: Well, we wish you great success with it. I hope that it matches or exceeds all the other great things that you've built over the years. And Todd, just want to say thank you again for being a, a good friend, a good client, uh, and also you know a great guest on our, on our program, Fingerprints on Success. So thank you so much for joining sure, us today. I, let
0: me say, I'll say one last thing. I was trying to work it into the conversation and never made it. <laughs> one of the people that definitely left their fingerprints on me is you. You know, we've had this amazing relationship since we were little kids. We've been through a lot of different life events together. You've always been there for me, not only as an attorney, but, you know, as, uh, as my advisor. And I've learned a lot from you over the years, both on the personal side and on the professional side. And, and I, I'd like to thank you for that.
2: Well, listen, I appreciate you as well. And I'm very grateful. Those are very kind words. I really appreciate it. And again, to your continued success.
1: I I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Fingerprints on Success podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them, or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Mandelbaum Barrett PC specializes in partnering with successful business owners and proven entrepreneurs on all of their legal matters. Visit www.mblawfirm.com for more information. Once again, it's www.mblawfirm.com. We'll see you on the next episode.